0: welcome to our podcast doing it right this podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right it's about their journey to become a leader their choices motivations and lessons In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Welcome again.
1: What a wonderful show we're going to have today. And I want to, first of all, thank a lovely boutique named Betty Ryder, where I am wearing this lovely smashing uh, subtle colored shirt <laughs> today so thank you this is a luxury brand boutique in parks uh in uh, preston center in dallas texas and stop by they've got incredibly beautiful clothes well today Brittany merrill underwood is my guest and she's a young woman who her life was absolutely transformed at age 19 when she and some friends decided they would just go somewhere overseas and teach, and they landed in Uganda. And I'm going to let Brittany tell that story because it's the most incredible story I've ever heard. But let me tell you just one other thing because she won't brag on herself. She now is the CEO and founder of the Akola Project and Akola Jewelry, and she's found so many ways to help women in crisis in this impoverished area of Uganda. Here's what I want to share with you. In 2017, Brittany was named among the world's top CEOs in Inc. magazine, the best person in the world by Yahoo in 2014, and was honored by Levi as one of 50 women around the world who have changed the political, the cultural, and the spiritual Shape of the future. You talk about doing it right. Brittany, I'm just really grateful that you took the time to come over here and do this.
2: I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. It's
1: amazing. I just want you to start with the story. 19 years old. Yep. (laughs) How did this all start?
2: Yeah, by accident, which is the best part of the Ecola story. Um, I promised two friends we'd have a summer adventure. I was a sophomore at SMU. And thought we would you know, teach somewhere in the world, and they signed us up to be in Uganda. And How did they sign you up to Uganda? You know, it's funny, because I tuned out of the conversation for a week and kind of patched back in. They said, oh, we're going to Uganda. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, where is Uganda? I didn't know where it was on the map. I didn't know it was in Africa. <laughs> and it's embarrassing I've spent 15 years there now and uh, did not know where it was on the map and and second of all I said you know I thought when we were gonna go teach somewhere in the world we'd be in Europe or maybe Eastern Europe but you know, in a remote village in Africa that's not really how I was planning to spend my summer so my friends literally I mean they dragged me over there Um I tried every way to back out and next thing I knew I was in Uganda and when you got off the plane And you saw where you were. What were you feeling? I mean, I I think at that point in my life, I was just, I was really overwhelmed. I mean, I Mm -hmm. was a, you know, entitled sorority girl at SMU. Like, this was not my jam to go to, you know, (laughs) third world countries and remote villages and spend the summer without, you know, running water or electricity. Like, I just, that wasn't where my heart or my head was at the time. And I was, I was completely overwhelmed.
1: What happened when you were overwhelmed and started getting into whatever you were there to do? What yeah. were you there to do?
2: Yeah, so we we went to go teach in western Uganda, and, and actually the school wasn't ready to receive us, which was a surprise to Another us. story? Uh, yeah, a whole other story. So we ended up in Kampala, uh, Uganda's capital city, um, before moving out to the west for two weeks. And during that time... We were going to different villages and getting to know the community. And I I just, I was sick. I was so sick. The first two weeks I I was there. Um, I I was sick. I was tired. I've never witnessed um, extreme poverty. And I, I didn't know. I didn't know how to process it um, mm. so I just it was kind of disengaged so a local pastor we were working with at the time I think he noticed uh, I was struggling how could he not <laughs> and he yeah. said I want you to meet this amazing woman in our community I think she'll inspire you um, so I said okay and I followed him up this tiny dirt road um, to this little shack outside of Kampala and it was there that I met a Ugandan woman named Sarah and um, and her story changed the rest of my life.
1: Was she just a woman mom,
2: teacher? Yeah. Who yeah. was Sarah? She was, a, you would never know who she was, because mm. she um, She's one of the many women in these communities in Uganda who sort of behind the scenes sacrificed everything she had to care for others. Um, in her case, she felt that God had called her to take care of street kids. So she had no way to provide for them. Um, her husband worked in the city, and would every weekend come back with this tiny bit of money mm. that he would leave for her and her daughter—enough, you know, for them to maybe have, you know, rice and beans for the week, maybe chicken once, you know, rice just one and protein. Beans. And um, unbeknownst to him, when he was gone, she would open up her doors to orphan children, and they would wander into her home, roll out these tiny bamboo mats that she had, and. Huddled together to keep warm and she went hungry and her daughter went hungry to feed these kids with oh that tiny gosh. bit of money. And so it just was one of those situations where, you know, here I was, a college student who was spoiled and selfish and hadn't done anything for anyone my, my whole life, meeting a woman who um, literally went hungry so others could live. Um, and it completely shook me out of my complacency. Lands, do you have a picture of her? You know, I, I do. I, um, <laughs> I have a lot of pictures of Sarah over the years. Um, what's funny is she was 22, 23 years old at the time I was 19. So we were almost the same age, just mm. lived life in such a fundamentally, you know, different way. Um, her whole life was about others and my whole life was about me. Um, and I, it was this crazy moment. And I think this doesn't always happen in every journey, but I mean everything came out of that moment everything changed that day and you know I changed gradually um, but the shift happened um, when I met Sarah and I thought you know what can I do to help
1: Sarah and the kids yeah so you I'm sure you were crying and tearing and feeling like you said, overwhelmed and what have. So then, yeah. then how did that progress to the next step? Well, slowly, because I do? think you know. At
2: the time, I just thought you know I had twenty dollars in my pocket. <laughs> I gave it to her and said, "I'll pray for you. You know, yeah. I'll pray for these kids and th- that they have food." And she would sh- she shared these stories with me about how you know they would go sort of to the brink of starvation, and beans would just show up. They'd pray, and beans would show up at their door. Mm. And I just thought, you know, gosh, I'll pray that that keeps on happening. I mean, there are these, there are these kids who, you know, I mean, they're they're on the brink of starvation. And, and how old are these kids, uh, these street kids? They were, you know, 4 to 10 at the time. And they didn't have parents? Well, in Uganda, orphans um, are defined in uh, basically in the way where parents can't take care of them. So okay. some of them may have had parents. Their parents could not, you know. They would not give them shelter, could not give them food. Um, others had lost both of their parents. Um, mm. Yeah, just a situation where they had no one to care for them, so they were on the streets. Um, and so, you know, I, I just said, you know, gosh, I just like most people do, I think when they see a need like that, like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I'm, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you, and, and I hope all goes well. And I, I thought it would end there, um, and it didn't. Uh, the rest of the summer, we moved to Western Uganda. I only met Sarah for 10 minutes um actually formed relationships with other women you know in, in the place that I actually worked for the rest of the summer that were sort of doing the same thing and had the same heart and passion but i could not stop thinking about sarah and her kids um, and it just was a burden um, it wasn't even compassion at the time because i don't think i had a lot of compassion in me um, It i just was overwhelmed and wanted to do something to help and just felt like i had to mm-hmm. you know and so that grew and grew i left uganda for the summer And I went back to SMU um, and went to study abroad in in Italy, which is quite different than (laughs) being in a remote village in Uganda, and actually broke my leg three weeks into the trip, Um, ended up in a hospital bed in Atlanta, could not move, could not walk. I mean, I had a wheelchair, walker, cane, you name it, um, for six months to to repair my hip. and i was just laid laid out and all i could think about was this woman and and so finally it just drove me crazy so i thought I, i've got to got to do something so i called a man in the middle of the night i didn't remember the time difference it was three in the morning i think his time that we had worked with the summer before um and he was actually training the pastor that took me to meet sarah and so i called him up and said you know i don't know if you remember me and i was thinking oh i hope he doesn't because i was like <laughs> I, was, I was not one of the the bright lights on that trip you know at that point and he did remember me and i said i you know i, I met this woman in this village and i want to help in some way I, maybe i could send over some money um to make sure that they have food you know, what can I do? Um, and I'll never forget. Um, he started crying. I mean, his voice mm-hmm. cracked on the phone, and he said, You know, w- I've been praying with this pastor for three years that someone would come help this woman and her kids. And strangely enough, several weeks after you met her, um, another couple came through the village and met Sarah, and they started a sponsorship program. Sarah and her kids and I thought, oh hallelujah, they're taken care of. I don't have to feel bad anymore. I can go on with my life. And then he said, but you know the big but that changed everything. But uh, what they really need is a home. Um, and I thought, well, that's that's great. I don't know what you want me to do. I'm 20 years old. I'll, I'm still in college. I pray they get a home. Like I, I don't I don't know. And he said, well, I think you should think about it. Um, they really need a home the kids are getting malaria they're you know sick because they're sleeping on the ground and they need beds and you know a place to stay and um, so I said okay and called them back three months later and said what would it take to build a home for Sarah and her kids how
1: much money would it take? Yeah. okay yeah. and what how much money did it take a
2: lot more than we thought um, of course you know being 20 years old just highly idealistic and um, thought well you know you know, this initial idea of building a home for Sarah and her kids thought seemed manageable, you know, probably $10,000 project to build a small home and care for 24 kids. Um, but I, I flew to Uganda a couple months later. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a break from school and thought I was a journalism major at the time and, and thought if someone else could just see the story, if they could hear mm-hmm. what I heard and, um, see the pictures of the kids, like surely they'd be willing to help and so if I could film a video I knew how to do that
0: as a journalism
2: major and you know other people could hear the story and maybe I could raise $10,000 to you know build this home and so I went over there and uh, anytime you do work in rural communities in east africa the whole community is involved it's not just who you're partnering with it's you mm-hmm. know the elders and the lc chairs and the leadership from the village and it, <laughs> you end up in these sort of ceremonies where everyone has an opinion everyone's involved and uh you know i'm 20 years old trying to shoot this video and next Gee. thing i know i'm part of this like village council and um i'll never forget there was an older man um, and he was he was sort of mad I thought, well, why is he mad? I'm trying to help and build this home for these kids, and he said, "Look around," and I did, and he said, "What do you see?" And, you know, I said, "Well, a lot of shacks. I see a slum." He was like, "What else do you see?" I said children. He goes, "Yeah, there's a lot more children than these 24 children um, who need a home," and and at that time we had, you know, started working on buying this piece of land to build this, you know, little what was this tiny house on and he said on that same plot of land you could build an orphanage for every kid in this community who needs a home and and no kids would be on the street so I, i i literally returned from uganda with um truly plans for an orphanage on a napkin at fuel x we went to this gas station and kind of you know dreamed about what this building would look like and came home and told my parents i was building a orphanage in uganda um, so, as simple as that. So the, so the Speak plan. It, and it, happens. The plan went from this, you know, tiny home to this million dollar project to build a oh three story orphanage goodness. for two hundred kids um, in Kampala. So it grew really fast. It, this is just. I mean, I don't know about you listening and watching, <laughs> but this is
1: all right. So take an incredible. Is what it's going to say. So from that, you obviously built it.
2: We built it. Yeah. So um, started raising the money. The video. I mean at that time we just had, you know, these DVDs and uh-huh. um, you know, we had people come to our fundraisers and they were so moved by the story they would pick up a stack of DVDs and just send them to their friends and we were getting checks in the mail from people I'd never met. Um I realized I had to start a nonprofit to collect donations <laughs> you're which still is new 20? to me. I'm 20. You're I, still I don't 20. know how to do this and so I marched in. This is the best part of the story. Um into the nonprofit department of SMU um, and knocked on a an amazing woman, Maria Dixon Hall, who teaches race relations and nonprofit um, at SMU and walked in and said, I'm building this orphanage in africa and i thought i thought you could help i want to sign up for all your classes and she looks back she's on her board now and she was on her board in the past and she was like this is my worst nightmare this white swordy <laughs> girl you know going to save africa she was like oh man lord what did are you she doing? believe you did i mean i think she you? just was like oh gosh this is what do i do with this, <laughs> what do I do with this girl um and anyway um great story of just the two of us and how she helped kind of grow and shape my journey but um yeah so signed up start, uh, for all these nonprofit classes created a non-profit um re- started receiving donations and next thing i knew you know we had raised quite a bit of the money and i graduated from smu and i don't think i'd even thought this far of wait i have to be the one to make sure this <laughs> happens like people just entrusted me with a lot of their money like i've got to go over there to make sure this building works. So I convinced three friends to put put their post-college jobs on hold, and we literally just moved to Uganda. Um, we were <laughs> 21, 22 years you're old. Now you 21. Yeah, oh my. and we had no idea what we were doing. Had to learn how to drive on, you know, the other side of the road and, uh, you know, in between cows and chickens on these dirt roads. We lived in Literally the most dangerous part of Kampala, and, and didn't know it. I mean, oh. we just didn't know. What we didn't know. I um, mm-hmm. had this tiny. Uh, it was sort of this uh, concrete shack, and we all we had these four beds, and you know, one of um, the guys we were with slept with a baseball bat under his bed because that was our form of security. Um, fishermen would catch us fish, and we would eat it, and that was our start to <laughs> this journey to build, you know, this orphanage in Uganda. Brittany, this is clearly you
1: were meant to, born to, do this work. Now, it went, right?
2: Yeah, so we so we built it. Um, and, you know, what's funny about, I feel like in some ways I was born to do this work, but in other ways I'm the least likely person. Well, that's <laughs> like, the point, as isn't candidate it? candidate to, so, I mean, I just, I, it grew me up as a person. I oh. mean, it continues over the past 15 years. I feel like this work has, um, I've become you know, an adult through this work. I mean, I've been the women that we work with and, you know, the communities that, um, you know, I've spent my 20s and now my 30s, and I feel like they've shaped so much of how I see the world and others and, and raised me in some ways. But, um, but yeah, so we, we finished the building in 2008, early 2009. I mean, made every mistake in the book. Um, I mean, mm. just got pummeled in some ways and and a lot of we joke now a lot of our friends who've been working in Uganda for you know 10 15 20 years will get together in Kampala and everyone jokes after one or two glasses of wine all the horrific stories of all the all the ways you've just totally screwed up that you know no one else knows about come to the table and somehow they you know always center around projects like these and and we just you know we got hammered and so i mean to the point where
1: what does hammered look like what do you
2: mean uh i mean lied to cheated oh. you know um, stolen from uh mm. safety you know our our lives at one point um, uh, you know threats I and mean, you kept just, going yeah I, yeah we kept going mm-hmm. and um i mean it it was the most difficult five years of my life why did um, you keep
1: going how did you keep going
2: just determination just thought i'm gonna do I'm. I'm we said Commitment? we're gonna do this and mm-hmm. we're gonna do it mm-hmm. um and you know we're gonna figure it out and i think what i wasn't prepared for though was sort of um you know i knew we'd figure out how to build the building and we did it's a one of the most beautiful buildings outside of Kampala. I mean, we did an excellent job with the building, but everything else around it that we couldn't control, um, we couldn't control. So, you know, we opened the building, um, and two months later, um, Sarah's husband, who had, you know, sort of not been around mm-hmm. uh, in the past, uh, saw money come through the door and an opportunity, and and he came back um, and sort of took on this project. and. He was not as as good of a man as Mm. uh, Sarah was, Mm. a woman. And um, two months after we opened the building, he rented it out, um, didn't tell us to a school um, to make money, Mm. and we found out. um, You know, this is a building that was supposed to be used for you know orphanage children, and it broke my heart. I mean, I, you know, I'd spent. Five years in my twenties doing this. All my friends were in New York, getting married, like having these great jobs. and I was in the you know, this village, overwhelmed you know, in Uganda, figuring out how to build this orphanage home, and and then to have to feel so betrayed at Aww. such a young age and disillusion. I mean, I it hit me so hard, and it was the first time, kind of that idealism that mm-hmm. you know in your early twenties when you do things like this, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, just burned out of you, you know, and suddenly you're disillusioned and. and Thinking, you know, did I do more harm than help? Mm-hmm. Um, should I have come in the first place? Like, did I really hear like this voice that I was supposed to do that or did I make it up in my own mind? You know, and even questions around, you know, my faith in God and His role in this, like it just turned everything upside down. And I'll never forget, I went to one of my mentors in Uganda. He had worked there for, I mean, through Idi Amin for, you know, 30, 40 years and just this wise old man. Um, and said'm I'm, I'm leaving and I'm never coming back like I you know I, I feel like I've just, yeah done more harm than help and and I um, this whole thing's falling apart and I just want to go home. And he laughed, which wasn't <laughs> what laughed. I wanted to hear at oh. the time and he just kind of chuckled and he said, that's what's wrong with you millennials. And I said, what do you mean? And he uh-huh. said, you know you you come and you have, you know all the idealism in the world and and you're ready to you know change the world and um and something goes wrong and you leave and you quit and you don't go back and he goes here he basically said here's my challenge to you you know you're 25 now this was 10 years ago and he said you know what if you committed to this country you know imagine what you could do by the time you're 60 or you're 70 or 25. Now, look at all that you've learned in just five years of working here and he said I I challenge you to stay and he said I think probably the first 5 years you were here could have done more harm than help, but I bet the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years you spend in this country, you can learn from all the mistakes you made and create something wonderful. Uh and I listened to him and I stayed and that was the start of a cola
1: that was a star so describe a cola yeah now you are now you're all over the world yeah you have a cola jewelry yeah. which i love i want yeah. you to talk about so take us yeah. to now today yeah where are you
2: in just 15 so, years yeah in 15 years um we've created a company that gets behind other women like sarah who mm-hmm. um live in uganda and these rural communities and can't meet the basic needs of their kids they you know can't feed the average of 10 dependents in their in their home. And we come behind women in those situations and create a job opportunity, um, an income generation opportunity so they can earn the money they need to care for their families themselves without an orphanage, without a building. Um, through their own efforts and hard work, they get to create a better life for kids.
1: Well, how did you get to what they're doing, which is creating these this beautiful, story. I think have got pictures. Yeah. Uh, up of the jewelry, yeah, right there.
2: Um, our Anacoli Coley cowhorn that we uh, now cowhorn make into to jewelry and our raffia. I think you're seeing so that beads. Here. You've got beads. You've oh, got bracelets. We've got. We make jewelry and we you know sell it you know, across the U.S. We're and in, where are you selling it? Uh, we're at Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Nordstrom. So that's we're That's not shabby. That <laughs> is not shabby. It's great. Yeah, we're um, actually the first brand with um, impact at its core, kind of vertically empowering women through our supply chain that's retailing um, in all of these, you know, places, uh, kind of the high, you know, high-end retail. And, and it's been this amazing journey where, you know, in 2007 – 2008 when we were wrapping up the orphanage and you know realizing like this model's tough like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't actually do what we thought it would do for for these kids you know wh- what's a better way um and you know our goal was you know if we can get income what sarah really needed when i first met her was income right mm-hmm. she just needed the money, money to you know for buy beans. school fees and food and um make sure the kids could meet their basic needs she didn't actually need an orphanage mm-hmm. um, she was capable of doing it herself and just believing in the agency of women like that and how do we you know how do we get behind them and we picked jewelry because it was the easiest way we thought we could get income into the hands of women who had no educational background no training um, they didn't own land they were subsistence farmers so you know one bad harvest and you know they're in debt to the local landholder and they're serving so uh, really tough um crisis situations for women and the thought was you know how how, how could they provide for their families and we picked jory because it was easy to to make, easy to ship, Did easy to train know? women. Did I, you know how I to was make not, it? I, I was not a jewelry expert. I had a friend from SMU, um, Elizabeth Phillips, uh, who's here in Dallas, and she had a small jewelry business um, at SMU, and I called her up and just said, like, hey, we're trying to create this product over here. Can you come over for a couple months and help me Show figure out how, how to, how to train it. the women to make jewelry and, you know, to source the parts that we need to source to, to be competitive? And um, started with 15 women under a tree um, in Uganda um, in 2007 and by 2010 we had over a hundred women in our program and we made this decision that's completely set us apart um, as a jewelry brand but also as a social enterprise um, we we became vertical so um, in 2010 our product wasn't great um, people were buying it because they wanted to get behind our mission but we realized unless we create an amazing product that people would buy Whether or not they knew that it was bringing women and families out of poverty. Mm -hmm. Like, we've got to create an amazing product that sells, or this thing isn't going to work. And we want to help more women. And Mm -hmm. so the only way we could do that is not only through the design, but through the quality. And to control the quality, we actually had to create a manufacturing business we, we couldn't have women making joy under a tree or in the dirt because the quality of the product <laughs> would reflect that so we started investing in infrastructure for economic opportunity and um, built training centers um workshops manufacturing centers yep. where women would go to work and i mean we knew how to build projects because we built the orphanage so you know we knew how to buy land and build a building and started doing that and created this vertical manufacturing business and um, that specifically employed women with an average of 10 dependents who they couldn't care for um, and we trained them to make jewelry that now sells at Neiman Marcus and that's in beyond yeah
1: Brittany and so um, in the time we have left I want the listeners to know about you personally yeah so you
2: have Little kids, yeah. Their names, are, well, doesn't matter names, but how old are they? Uh, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, both boys. I work with all women, and <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> have all two boys. boys. Yeah.
1: What do you see for them in yeah. the future?
2: Yeah, you know, I uh, this has been this work has been my life's passion. I mean, I've given my entire self to this over the past 15 years, and it's not easy. I mean, to grow a business or grow a nonprofit. And we have both um, out of a rural village in Uganda, especially Hmm. for To export to the kind of places that that we do and um just the relationships of the women and uh those have changed my life i mean i know the women their families uh, i know where their houses are you know i I lived beside them they're your family and 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 i want the same for my my kids Um, Mm and when they think about giving back i don't want them to think about service projects where they for one time go and they do something for someone else and then leave i want them to think about relationships and um, just getting to know, you know, communities and people that are so different than they are, knowing that that will shape their life and mm-hmm. their character and their heart as much as, you know, they can give back, you know, as well. It's it's a mutual, it's a reciprocal relationship. Um, and I want I want them to be a part of that. And I hope that, you know, I've been talking to my husband for years about, how, you know, when can I take him to Uganda? What, what's, you know, what age is right? And can we spend summers yes. there? Because I, yes. I want them to form relationships like I have with the communities that I've been able to get to know and love over the years, and and you know, and 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 then have their life changed as a result.
1: You have you you are a bright shining star, and as mm-hmm. I said earlier, I don't know any other organization and um, entrepreneur that has had a similar story. If you know one, you can let me know. But I I just was so thrilled that you would take the time to come on the show because what I do know about you is you are uber busy <laughs> and you're being a mom and yeah. you're prioritizing that. Yeah. And I do want to ask before you go, Brittany, you've learned so much. The yeah. thing that I hear so deeply from mm-hmm. the heart, your heart, is that commitment. Yeah. What are some of the maybe two or three lessons learned yeah. as, as a young entrepreneur yep. who stayed the course? Yep. Obviously, perseverance. Yep. But yep. what else? What um, else?
2: I mean, I think it's the courage, uh, mm. the courage to keep on going um, and the ability to fail and get back up and just make your model better i mean we failed our way to success i mean we've done so many things (laughs) wrong that finally we got it right you know and we just we stepped to it we didn't give up to it Mm -hmm. and i mean there's so many times where i should have and could have given up and i didn't and i think that is what has differentiated our business from from many others that i know is we just we never gave up and we kept on going and um, didn't look at failure as, as a stopping block, just looked at it as a way to learn and to grow, and I think as a result, built something really exciting. I mean, a, a world-class jewelry brand that empowers it's beautiful. women in crisis.
1: It's beautiful. If uh, I encourage all of you to to take a look at the uh, AKOLA. Acola, Acola yeah. Jewelry. Acola uh, Jewelry. There's one more thing that you said I, you, you have to repeat on air. About delegation, because that's something yes. we all need. <laughs> Brittany, what I'm did you learning
2: say? in this season of life. I've, you know, two young kids, and Acola has been my heart and soul for 15 years. I've, I've given everything to it, and I can't do that. When you have kids, you can't give everything to something else and nothing to them. And I think I've learned, you know, in this season of life, um, I don't do anything that someone else can do on our team. Um, My litmus test for what I say yes to is if no one else can do it and I'm uniquely designed to, then I will take it on. But if anyone else can do it, they should. Boy, is um, that they do. is that yeah. a
1: lesson? if yeah. anyone else? I mean, when you said yeah. that to me, it yeah. went. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's many of us that think we have to do it all, and yeah. we don't, and you, you can't, and you can't. You just can't. And then
2: you'll, you know, you'll do something amazing in the world, but neglect your children and in the process. Right. And I've seen others do that, and I, I don't want to do it.
1: No, you don't.
2: So. Brittany,
1: thank you so much. And you have to put your hair back just at least to oh, let them see that beautiful. That horn. And that's made from horn. <laughs> and a
2: cow horn. Yeah, it's one of our, Incredible. our women hand-carve-its. So I'm going to really go special. look for that for yeah. sure.
1: Thanks thank so you much. so much for being on the show. And I want you to know that you can go to a A-K-O-L-A, project.org to learn more about the business and the jewelry and all of that but you've heard some wonderful stories the real stories the woman behind all of this and it's a what multi-million dollar project now yeah, it's
2: really it's a it's exciting, grown, growing. 15 growing years yeah
1: that's pretty right. incredible and incredible because again you have been given the gift and the urge, and you said it, my words, not yours, but you couldn't let that voice go. Yeah, and sometimes we know that. yeah pay attention to our inner inner self. So thank you for watching. You know what? I know that you are, um, busy out there and you listen to a lot of podcasts, you watch a lot of YouTubes, and I just want you to know that I really do appreciate the fact that you tune in. want you to next week, too, when we will have our first sponsored show from the Dallas Regional Chamber and a young man from Pakistan with an inspiring story. They're all inspiring, right? who came to the United States with nothing, Brittany, Mm -hmm. and he uh, rode a bicycle to work. He finally got a job. I won't tell you where, but you tune in. You're going to hear a story of a young man who's now a vice president. Really a cool story. So until then, you just stay authentic. Keep yourself moving forward no matter what it is, one step at a time, and never give up, ever, ever, ever. Thanks so much. Bye for now.